With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What, what episode, Riff? This one's uh, episode 27. There you go. Good math. Good morning, Mr. Budden. How are you? Good morning, Mr. Peters. You, you look like uh, you know how to hold a microphone. I bet you, you you were the lead singer in a teenage band, weren't you? God, I would love... I, you know what? It's funny you say <laughs> that. If I could go back in time, I would have probably tried to be in a music group of some sort. <laughs> boy band for sure. I think I got a, I got, I could have been a decent boy band member. No question. You know, the funny thing <laughs> is I was asked that, you know, when you play for your hockey team, I think it was at in Montreal at the time. And they, they ask you these questions like, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite music band? What would you want to do? Would you want to be a rock star? Or would you want to play in the national hockey league? And come on, <laughs> come on. Hundred percent. I want to be a lead singer of of a rock band. No question about it. I think it was like Eddie. Every, go like ahead. Every other Canadian kid wants to grow up to be a lead singer, right? Yeah. <laughs> this uh, idea that we all want to grow up to be hockey players, right, Greg and Andrew? No. Not true. All you got to do is ask Chad Kroger. What would you rather do? Be the lead singer in Nickelback or play in the NHL? And I. I, you know what? I don't think being the lead singer in Nickelback would be all that bad, but I think, I think it was Eddie Van Halen that once said every rock star wants to be a jock and every jock wants to be a rock star. So, so, you know, exactly. It, I guess it kind of fits the form. So you let's, is this your favorite time of year right now with the world juniors expected to start on, or supposedly they were supposed to start on boxing day, but is this, is this your, uh, is this one of your favorite times of year? I, I, yeah, it's one of my favorite times of the year because you, it's a best-on-best best tournament and, you know, you get these fantastic young players that have a still have a real innocence to them, right? Like, you know, they're still junior college, you know, they're not – they haven't turned pro. And, I, and that's not a negative comment, but, like, they're playing and you get these emotional swings up and down. And it's also a fantastic glimpse of what the future of the NHL is going to look like. Just think about last year. So Trevor Zegers is the MVP of the, of the World Junior Tournament. Yep. Now this year, he's getting all like he, he's he's making all the headlines with his with his play in the NHL. And Cole Caulfield comes. Listen, hey, we might want to add in a little Dylan Cousins in that conversation too. He was oh, an all right player that tournament. Oh no, he 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 was. And how, how about the how about the goaltender that the Sabers traded for, Devin Levi? Who's yeah. tearing it up in the NCAA Crazy. and like came into the came into the tournament. So you're, you're right. I mean, think about all that. I mean, Owen Power is going to be front and center this year, and you know, for Buffalo Sabres fans, they know what he's all about, or they think they know what he's all about. But to be able to watch him in a best on best and to see how he controls a game, it's going to be phenomenal. Have you been able to watch any of Owen Power 
uh, this year at all. What can you tell us about what he's doing uh, in Michigan right now? Well, he's one of the best players outside the NHL, period. So let's just talk about that. You know, he, he and Kent Johnson and uh, Thomas Bordalo and, uh, and – at Veneers, I mean, like it's almost an embarrassment of riches at, at, at Michigan, how, how good they are. And you have to throw in Hughes, too, the number five overall yeah. pick. Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. No, Luke is there. But, I mean, it's such a deep team and it's such a good team. But the, the best players are, are the four guys I just named. And Luke, Luke will find his way, you know, in the years to come. But those guys are so good. And you watch Owen play, and it's almost like I honestly believe, Craig, he could play 60 minutes in the game. Because he, he, he doesn't waste any effort. His brain is processing it at rates and at levels uh, that most players can't even come close to. And he makes it look incredibly easy. And you guys know it's nothing, but it, it, there's no easy to play in the game. And certainly as you go up the levels, but oh boy, oh boy, does Owen Power make it look easy. What's the, uh, what's the latest update on the world juniors I, I we don't just want to talk world juniors but we know you're very very big on the prospects and there's a lot of stuff going around the league and the nhl with olympics too but but what's what's the latest on world juniors i, I it's not starting boxing day is it no it is it's still oh it is still I, I thought oh, yeah, they were yeah, yeah. okay okay plans are in place they they they, they canceled some of the pre-tourney games every team is now going to play on december 23rd and get a game in and, you know, the protocols in place were, were, were established long before the new variant came in. And so teams have to test negative before they got on a plane. They were in quarantine coming in. They've tightened their quarantine rules. And, 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 and really, they're in a bubble. The players and the teams are now in a bubble. What hasn't been determined yet is, you know, what, what, uh, what percentage of fans are going to be allowed in the building. You know, there's, it could be 100. It could be 50. It could be could, – I don't know yet. I think that they're still waiting for all the uh, the data and the information to come from the health authorities. But, you know, one of the things is they pulled it off last year with no fans and, and no cases. And hopefully when I say no cases, there was some during the tournament, but they isolated them. And hopefully, you know, the tournament can uh, get underway. Hopefully you can get underway with fans and hopefully they can uh, uh, get to the end of it without any, uh, without any outbreaks. Who is the team to beat? I, I think right now Canada is. You know, I, you know, there, it's it. It really is a tournament where you can't just say there's one overwhelming favorite. Yeah, uh, the USA is going to have a good team. Russia is going to have a good team. Don't underestimate the Finns. You know, I've been looking at the Swedes, and the Swedes are not great up the middle of the ice. They have some really good wingers. The defense is good. The goaltender is really good. They're going to have to find a way to. You know, not give up very much and, and find a way to get on the right side of the score offensively on their power play. But, you know, it seems to me that Sweden now maybe coming into a tournament where that, that, that undefeated record is over, <laughs> you know, they're not, they're not coming into the tournament as a favorite, might, might just allow them to just kind of go about their business and play instead of all these expectations and, and outside pressures on them. And, you know, if they get, they're going to get good goaltending. They're going to have good defense. I mean, Simon Edvinson, who was drafted by uh, Detroit six over another big six foot six, six foot five defenseman who skates tremendously well. They're going to get good defense. They're going to get good goaltending. If they can uh, uh, get some offense, they're going to have a chance to make things interesting. But I, I, right now, the way Canada is positioned, I see them as having uh, 
just an edge at the top of uh, the contender group. So I, I was looking at stats, and I think one of the things that definitely sparked my interest to talk to you today was Shane Wright. Um, you know, I, I looked at his stats a while ago. He's, he's picked up from where he was uh, earlier in the season, had a bit of a slow start. But is, is he putting up the numbers in junior, and is he having the season that everybody expected him to, to be this generational talent that will, you know, change a team's forecast uh, going forward? Well, I would say it shouldn't change a team's forecast. I, I understand that you come in as, as the prohibitive number one overall pick in the NHL draft, that there's going to be expectations on you. And then you start to look and see, oh, geez, do, does it, do the stats line up? I've seen Shane play a number of times this year. You know, and, and both of you know that as you move up the levels, you know, you're going to play with better players and you're going to play, you know, with uh, a more systematic approach where the better players have a better opportunity, the, the, the talent rise, the cream rises to the top. I think that Shane, in his quest to be precise, that's the word I use with him when he plays the game. He, he's really precise. He knows how to play the game. He knows where to be. But he's playing at a level where a lot of the other players aren't at that level. I think what happened, what's happened to him over the course of the last month is he's realized, okay, i got to be a little bit less precise. And, and help my teammates and get the best out of them. And to me, trying to balance that out for a young player in his draft year, still maturing, still understanding, is the work in progress. But I'll be straightforward with both of you guys. I mean, I, I, I've seen all the players. I don't see a player better than Shane Wright, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Well, you, you just answered my question because I was going to say, is there a prospect that you've seen that could maybe push for – that number one overall spot, or is it already decided in your opinion? Well, so let's go back to, to last year's draft. And we talked about this and you guys asked me how good was William Eklund, right? Like, in, Oh, could William Eklund be the first overall pick? No, 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 he couldn't be, but people start these narratives. And what yeah. to me, what I try to look at is, is okay. Like you're going to put William Eklund into the category of Owen power. Like, really? Like, seriously? Like, yeah. okay, I get that William's a good player. He won seventh overall to uh, to San Jose. But what Owen Power does in the game, there's very few like him. What William Ackland does, there's a lot more like him. And Shane Wright and, you know, Craig, you, you, you played against Patrice Bergeron. And that's yep. who Shane Wright reminds me of. Like, well, I was going to ask you that. You know, <laughs> it, you know, Shane Wright seems to be uh, a point producer, but not a point producing freak but he has other intangibles in his game. And I had, I had the honor of uh, coaching Shane Wright in a, in a spring tournament years ago when he was, um, he was 13 years old at the time. And, and my brother who has an O three um, was putting like an all-star team together. Okay. To go in this spring tournament in Toronto. And my brother had asked me if I wanted to come and help him coach this team because it, they had a lot of high end kids, a lot of kids that have already been drafted in the NHL last year. And I said, yeah, I'll come. And uh, so I said, so where are you at? He goes, you know, right now we're the team's almost full. We're looking for one forward. And I said, any, any leads? And he's like, no, he's like, I just want to make sure it's the right kid. And I said, okay, well, I've got a kid for you. I said, but he's no four. He's a year younger. And my brother said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm not taking him. I said, Scott, listen to me. You need to take this kid. He's a special player. 
We've played my, my son, who's an 04 has played against this kid for a long time. So I made the phone call to the parents and this and that he came to the tournament. Very first game, very first shift on the ice against <laughs> older players in this super high end tournament. Very first shift. He goes down and absolutely rips a missile that looked like an NHL shot in stride bar down. And my brother looked down at me because I was coaching the D and uh, he looked down at me and said, uh, yeah, he might, uh, he might be okay. And in that tournament he ended up scoring, he ended up scoring uh, eight goals in six games, led the team, led the team in, in, in points. And we ended up winning that tournament. And my brother looked back and he's like, wow, who the hell is this kid? And I said, well, you, you just continue to watch. Cause you're going to see this kid. Cause he's special. And you look at many years later, um, he's, he's now the number one uh, pick in the net. Na- he's going to be, I think the number one pick, pick in the national hockey league. You should be like well, all I, those I, other agents in Toronto, Riv, going and recruiting 12 and 13 year old kids. I was <laughs> like, you, you have a, listen, I mean, ten. you know exactly what I'm talking about too, Mr. Budden. Listen, there, yeah. there's another situation of, uh, uh, Ivan, uh, Miroshenko. So yeah. Ivan Miroshenko's agent knows, uh, um, a trainer here in Buffalo that he brings the Russian clients to train over here in Buffalo for, for weeks at a time. Well, my son was training there that, that day. And so was this old four kid, this Ian, Ivan Miroshenko. And I can still remember um, saying to my son, I said, this, this young man right here is your age. And he is considered the best Russian hockey player. He's like, I told my son, I said, he's the Shane Wright of Russia. So we were watching him. And I remember him going over to the squat rack one day and he was 14 years old. Okay. And there was two plates on each side. That's 225 pounds. Now my son wouldn't be able to do that for one back in the day. Okay. This kid popped it off the rack and did 10 squats at 225 pounds at 14 years old like it was a warm-up and i looked at my son and i was like we got a little work to do here so um very special player uh you know in in ivan miroshenko he's another player from russia that is ranked very highly what do you think of uh, about him well i mean he, he he didn't make the team because uh i from what i understand yeah he didn't make the team he's not over so I, from my understanding, uh, Craig, is, is that he, 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 he had some illness, not okay. COVID-related from what I was told, and, and, and that affected his conditioning. He just was a little bit – it wasn't about his skill. It was about his conditioning and just wasn't up to the speed, and they didn't think they could get him up to speed. You know, we've seen that happen with other players at different times and everything. But he, he, he's a – what I – two things I wanted to say is, number one, I love your term about – Shane Wright not being a, po- a point-scoring freak. He'll, he'll produce points, but he's not. Yeah. And I think that's a great description. Marashashenko, to me, he, he's a bulldog scorer. He can score in so many different ways. He can score with the shot, but he's going to find a way to drive to the net and drive into that scoring area and, and put defenders on their heels. And he's, he's got that hunger. He's got that drive. But he's also got the, the finishing uh, hands to be able to do, to, to be able to score. And, you know, when you, when you have those combination of, 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 of skills and power and will, you know, you're going to be – and that's why he's been so successful. He, the only reason he's not on this team this year is because, uh, unfortunately, he ended up with, uh, with an illness that's, that, that impacted his condition. That's what- I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. 
From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. That, that's what ultimately ended up happening. The NHL is uh, having an issue with illness that's impacting their season. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on all this and, and how it's being handled and where do we go from here? I'm going to go back since March 2020. The NHL, I think, has been exemplary in the way they've handled things. They've been open-minded. They've taken advice from the for, from the medical table, and I call the medical table all the experts in science. Right? Return to play bubble postponement of last year's start of the season. You know, we had postponements last year, shutdowns, getting the season done in in a different way with the divisions. You know, trying to get a full season in this year. And, and again, trying to work with the, the Players Association and the NHL, you know, they're together in this and working through the protocols and making sure that they understand, you know, how do we get a full season in, understand that we may get some bumps on the road. We've seen that. And also, hey, listen, we've got to take a step back. The unfortunate part of all this is going to be uh, the NHL players not participating in the Olympics. And, you know, so that now – I think when you ask me how does it play out, that gives the NHL and the players a, a, a big window now to manage through this period of time. And yeah. I don't know what it's going to look like in a week. I don't know what it's going to look like in two weeks. But with a with a with a with February now in play to 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 work around the postponements and see what you can do depending on what, what the spread uh, ends up being or not being, I think that uh, it can be a, a you know a real. The negative of not participating in the Olympics will be a positive for what's uh, in, what's infected yeah. the NHL at this point. Done. Let me. Let and, me ask you, oh, go ahead, River. I was just going to say. I just wanted to add. You know. You know your thought and opinion on you know Steve Eisman coming out the other day and just uh, expressing you know his opinion on you know testing players in the National Hockey League that uh, you know are basically not showing symptoms and, and things like that. What are your thoughts on, on, on that moving forward? Well, number, well, number one, Craig, is, is that we saw the NFL change their testing protocols based on exactly what Steve Eisenman talked about. And so Steve talking about, you know, from his own experiences and seeing what has happened, I mean, that's legitimate and everything. But there's also a, 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 bigger, a, a bigger issue at play here is, is, is like, you know, what, what, what does it mean for spread? Like, you know, hopefully, hopefully we're moving into a, into a phase where, you know, if you do have COVID, the symptoms are mild. Like that, that, that would be great news. But the, yeah. data is still, the data is still early. And I think that when I go back to the NHL and the NHLPA medical table, you know, they continue to evaluate it. I think what Steve, Steve is saying is, is, is certainly credible because Steve is credible, but He's not part of the medical table, so we have to just, you know, keep yeah. that in mind. But, like, I guess what I would say ultimately is hopefully that's where we're moving towards with the entire pandemic. And yes. we know there's going to be an end to the pandemic. Hopefully that's a positive sign or one of the positive signs to it. As a, as a former general manager, how – how are you feeling about your players going to the Olympics? For, forget about Beijing. Forget about this year with COVID. Just in general, 
um, with the risk of your, cause they're all star players going over there. They're not, you're not sending over fourth and fifth line guys like me. So you're sending over your big ticket players, the guys that are going to help you win game changers in your organization. Are, are you, are you in favor? I mean, I don't, well, were you, were you in, in, were you general managing when, yeah. So how yeah, did yeah. you feel about your players going over? Were you, were you kind of like, Oh God, I don't want them to get hurt. I mean, the players wanted to go and participate in a best on best, right? And and the Olympics, keep in mind that, you know, we're talking about the early stages of NHL participation in the Olympics. 1998, you know, I was in Dallas, Bob Gainey was an assistant manager of the Canadian entity. 2002, I, I was with the Flames. So, you know, Jerome McGinley was going over. You know, interestingly enough, you guys may remember this, but Slovakia had to qualify for the Olympics through a pre attorney. And I, I know talking to Peter Stashney and he'd asked, we had a player on our team uh, by the uh, uh, name of Ron Petrovicki. That was Robert's brother. Anyway, Ron, you know, so Peter had phoned me to ask me if, if he, if I would release Ron to help Slovakia qualify for the Olympics. And I talked to Ron about it. And, you know, the, the you look at you, you're talking to him and you just see this absolute joy about the opportunity to represent his country and potentially get in the Olympics. Who am I to say no? Who am I to say no? And so you're I the general manager. Peter, you, you should have said, no. you, you can say whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I didn't feel that way, Craig. I, honestly, I, I, I really didn't. I felt like it, this is bigger than just having Ron Petrovicki for a couple that we were going to miss him for a couple of games. But I told Peter, like, yeah, you can count on him. Like, you know, what ultimately ended up happening is, is that, to, to be straightforward with you guys, is, is other managers in the league complained about it. So the league wouldn't allow us to, to let Ron go. So now I got to see the disappointment in Ron's face about not being able to go. So, you know, w- w- when I look at it, like you're always trying to weigh, okay, you know, what you, you look at it through different lenses, the team's lens, the manager's lens, the player. I tried to incorporate all the different lenses and understand that like the owner, hey, the ownership, Oh, yeah, well, the ownership, too. But, like, you know, at that point in time, too, you know, the Olympics are looked at as a launching pad for the growth of the game, right? And yeah. it, was a diff- it was a different time uh, with, with the economics and everything. So you're looking at the greater good, <laughs> so to speak, right? And that's how I looked at it. Listen, there's times when you're going, oh, good, okay, let's just hope Jerome doesn't get hurt. But I saw Jerome get hurt in a fight with Billy Guerin. He broke his, he broke his thumb on his head. What am I going to do, tell Jerome not to fight? Like, you know, that's not my decision. You know, do I want to see him in, in a fight where he could potentially break his thumb? No, but I'm not going to tell him not to. I, might, I'm, I don't know. I might have told him not to fight, but, I mean, he was so friggin' tough. He was so tough. I mean, uh, talk about a – honestly, just such a – I don't say underappreciated because he's a Hall of Famer, but when people say talk about great players in the game, I think Jerome Aginla is too far down on people's lists. Uh, when it comes to being an all-around player, character the ulti- guy. The ultimate player. The, the ultimate yeah. player. You have one of the greatest unsung uh, leaders in the game. The way that he played the game, yeah. he was fast. He was physical. Um, he scored, how many? Over 600 goals 600 in the goals, National yeah. Hockey League. He did everything. He was a power play guy, penalty penalty kill. I mean, he truly is is should be, I think, a lot higher in the list of you know greatest <laughs> players in the game. I, I, I believe that. 
well, I'm not, you're not going to get an argument from me, guys. And I'll tell you, I mean, I think, I, I think my numbers, there's only 15 players that have scored 600 or more goals in the NHL, and Jerome's one of them. So, like, you know, you, like you just think 500 goals, six, like, I mean, it's unbelievable. And he, he could, he could play it any way you want it. Any way yeah. the game, and like he had, he he had that great ability to have his finger on the pulse of the game. Th- did he need to make a big hit? Did he need to stay away from yeah. it? Did he need to drop the mitts and you know, uh, you know, toss a few? Like he he did. He and and uh, you guys know there's some players that never get their pulse on the finger of the game. They just don't understand what type of game they're in. What were you thinking trading him? No, I'm just, I'm just joking. You traded him to win a cup. I know, I know, I know. You know, the the, we were in Dallas, but we traded him for Joe Newendike. I I was just telling this story about the world junior and you know, when about, uh, you know, what the world junior, when we get a glimpse of the players, he got traded just before the 96 world junior uh, uh, tournament. And people in Calgary were saying, Jerome, who three weeks later, they knew Jerome who. <laughs> yeah. Well, was it, you know, went, the funny, I, I was just going to tell a quick story. I was in Boston at a tournament with my older son at the time, one time. And I remember walking into the arena and <laughs> there was a buzz. Like I've walked into a thousand uh, youth arenas over the last number of years, but this one, there was a buzz. And I mean a buzz. And I walked in and people were coming up to me like, Jerome McGimmel is on the bench right now and rank number one. And I was just kind of like, yeah, okay, you know, so what? Jerome McGinley. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm thinking in my head, holy crap, man, <laughs> McGinley. So I go over, I watch the game, and I see Jerome come off the bench. And uh, the people were, I mean, People see NHL, old NHL players, retired NHL players. But when you see someone like that, it's special. He's like a damn unicorn. Okay. <laughs> and I, I, the crazy thing is I was as giddy as the people standing next to me that were like, I cannot believe that I get to see in person Jerome McGinley. And I'm thinking the same thing. Holy shit. That is Jerome McGinley. Meanwhile, I'm like, why am I thinking like that? Because... <laughs> I played against the guy my entire career, but it, it it just goes to show the respect that you have for a player that has played that style and been so great for so long and, and is such an incredible uh, ambassador and person for the game. Even even me, who played almost a thousand games in the league, I'm looking at Drew McGinley like, wow. He drove me nuts at watching his interviews because he was always – smiling you just never seemed like you could piss him off i mean he just he always had this smile but then you only vinnie lecavile when uh they <laughs> then you get each other then you get him on the ice and he's in he's literally yeah. in kill mode um i gotta tell you a quick story you guys will appreciate this i know you will so daryl sutter comes in uh, i hired daryl to come to be the coach and jerome he was unbelievable he had that smile on his face, you know, it didn't in warm up. He always signed the kids were always, you know, we'd come off the, at the end of warm up, always signing the autographs. The kids were always there and it, it bothered Daryl. It was just one of those things that bothered Daryl. And I, and I remember sitting there with, I said, Daryl, don't worry about him. He's going to be ready to play. He always is ready. Back. So one day, one game I go down there and they had, Daryl had instructed the guys to put the, uh, the visit, like one of the visiting uh, tunnel protectors there that yep. the visiting team usually gets. And I remember sitting there going, uh-oh. I go to our president, Ken King, and I said, I need to talk to you right away. And he goes, oh, okay, this better be important. I said, it's important. Don't worry. 
I said, your, your email is going to be filled up with all these complaints because here's what Daryl just did. He goes, you're kidding. I said, no, this is what happened. Well, <laughs> his email, his email box got filled up real quick. That was the only time Daryl was able <laughs> to stop that. I mean, the because that was Jerome. He, he, he was a fierce competitor, but he understood as an ambassador, when you use that word as an ambassador, he was all of that and more. I mean, he just, yeah. I mean, him and Landon McDonald are the, are the greatest uh, Calgary Flames in the history of the Calgary Flames organizations, not just for what they did on the ice, but what they meant to the community. Those tunnels were designed for the visiting teams to not get beer thrown on them and <laughs> spat on while they walked yeah. off of the ice, not to box out your own fans from being their <laughs> yeah. stars. Hey, uh, you know, the, the one question I, I really want to ask you today uh, before we let you go is, what are your thoughts on the game today? You've been around the game for so many years. You've built a cup winner. Um, where is the game now in the eyes of Craig Button? You know, it's fascinating. You guys, you know, play growing up and everything. And, I, you know, I had this discussion with Dion Phaneuf. Dion Phaneuf was born in 1985, you know, just retired. And he was talking about, you know, defending and how you used to defend and how you used to try to get on the other teams unsettled. And I said, and he was saying, he goes, yeah, I think we got to get back. I said, you were born in 1985, which means you were really formed through the 90s, the way the game was played, into the early 2000s. And now you come into the league in 05 with all that background of what the league was. I said, listen, that's what your experiences were. But here's what I would like you to do. Jerome McGinley's son, Tiege, who was just drafted in the, in the Western Hockey League in the first round by Seattle, I said, we were together at a function. And I said, Go and ask Tiege and explain to him what you just explained to me. And I want to hear what you have, like what he says. He comes back to me a while later. He goes, he had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> so, you know, you know, we can talk about, you guys know you played it. You, you were great competitors and, and involved in a, in, in a style of game that's different than today. And the players now are growing up in a different era. And we know how good the skill is. We know how fast they are, you know. But the physical part of the game, you know, I go to games now in junior, and you don't see very much physical play. You see physical, like when I talk about body checking and stepping up and everything, and the rules have led to that. The speed has led to that. And when I say the rules, you know, there used to be speed bumps in the game. You know, Craig, you know, you used to be able to go back for a puck, and you know you had a little bit of protection because somebody could just hold up a guy a little bit, and that's what I call the speed bumps. Those aren't there anymore. Yeah. So now players have to adjust and how the game is played <laughs> physically. It's more leaning in. We talk about, you know, small area games, using your body. But the physical body checking is something that's that, that's, that, that really ha, ha, we're seeing it slowly go out of the game. What, and, and we're not teaching it at a young age either. Kids, you know, body checking isn't part of the game at a young age. And, you know, football, and I know you guys are all part of the Bills Mafia, but the rules changed in the NFL too, but tackling yeah. didn't change. And because tackling is a skill that's being taught. We're not teaching body checking, so we shouldn't be surprised that body checking is slowly finding its way out of the game. I don't want to put you on the spot by, by answering a question you may not want to answer, but I, I had this conversation the other day with Craig, and Craig verbally tore me to shreds about it but which is fine I'm, I'm open to that i've been called many names for my uh <laughs> i've been called a turncoat i've been called a traitor uh you know but you know you know my role in the game and what it was and 
I, I mean, now we don't see the stage fights anymore, but I, you know, I just, I watched Reeves a week ago or two weeks ago now. And, uh, Craig, your boy there, McDermott. And I just, and I wonder, is this still what we need in hockey to keep the game relevant? And that's the fighting. I, I don't know if relevant is the right word. I, okay. I, mean, I know, don't what, think it's the right I, word either. But. Yeah, but but anyway, but 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 I know where I know where you're headed here, and here's how I'll answer it. You know, on, on that 200 by 85 rink, there's no place to hide. In football, you get to run out of bounds. In in in, in the hockey rink, there's no place to hide. And you guys know by playing the game, who's not right. And and what's in my view, this is my view, is that too many of the players that aren't real, and there's not a lot of them, but too many of the players that aren't real have been allowed to. To, to, to play in a manner that shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> and that's where I struggle with it, right? Because as players on the ice, and that's why I say, I would never tell Jerome don't fight. I would never say, when I remember when the instigator rule came in, and I was the same way, Bob Ganey was the same way. If you feel you got to go address something, go on, we'll kill the instigator penalty. I said the same thing when I was in Calgary with our players. You have to make those decisions. Part of, the, part of the challenge is it's not so much about the stage fights. It's about saying, don't do that. You know, we hear all the time, uh, you know, Jerome McGinley could, could take care of himself, but a player that can just say, don't do that again. Don't. Brian McGratton, there's a great story that Craig Conroy tells. Brian McGratton, he said a bunch of the Vancouver Canucks were going after Jerome, and they're on the road in, uh, in Vancouver. And Brian turned around. It was in the. It was, it was, he was right in front of the Vancouver bench on a faceoff, and he turned around to Daniel and Henrik Sedin, and he said, "Hey, you two. I don't know who's who, but I'm going to tell you guys right now. Tell anybody on your team. He's looking right them in the eye. He goes, tell anybody on your team that if they want to go and take runs at Jerome, I'm coming after one of you two guys. Daniel, Henrik, Henrik, Daniel, whoever you are. I can't tell you apart, but that's how we're playing the game from here on in." That's something that establishes, you know, uh, like kind of like you, you, it, it, what it is. It's a deterrent because now players have to make up their mind. Is this something? Is this how I want to proceed? And I think that's what you're talking about, Andrew. And you know, I think that that's something that you know still has a place in the game because that 200 by 85, it, it is a cage match. And I, I'm not trying to use that as an extreme. There's no place to run out of bounds. Craig, your face is like all red because you're smiling the whole time. <laughs> oh, I'm listen. I'm not. I'm not a advocate for for fighting. I'm an advocate for exciting uh, hockey that uh, can be physical, that's skilled, that's fast. And stage fighting is the worst thing that's ever happened to hockey. And now it's yep. gone. And 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 we need to keep it gone. But I'll tell you right now. We had two of the toughest guys in the National Hockey League and McDermott and Ryan Reeves go toe-to-toe in a spirited fight. And I'm going to tell you right now, they scrolled from those two, those two guys and scrolled to the benches and scrolled to the fans. And let me tell you something right now. There was not one single player sitting on the bench. Every single one of them were standing up they had smiles on their faces. They were giving their teammate the let's go. And then they scrolled to the fans and the fans were like, ah. it's, it's a part of the game that makes this game exciting. It makes it a little edgy. It makes it, um, you know, it, it makes it 
it brings the energy to it. And I think that's important. And you want to keep that. Our players have gotten bigger, faster, stronger, more skilled. They're more creative. They're more dynamic. And we want that because that's awesome. But the other part of the game is a really big part of the game also. And that's the intensity. That's the grind. That's the, um, I'm going to, you know, help my brother, my teammate out at all costs. And I think that's a big part of the game too. And I think we're losing that a, a little bit piece by piece. Yeah, no, and I, I agree with you, Craig. The stage fights, you know, like that. I mean, that was, the, it, it was what it was. But like the other parts of it, again, Bob Ganey, I, I'll never forget him saying this. He goes, you know what? It, it's, and, and I mean, he played a Hall of Famer. He said, because it's not up to me to decide if, 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 if we need, uh, you know, tough guys, enforcers, whatever term you want to use for them. If the players feel more comfortable playing <laughs> in that type of an environment, we better get them. Because it's not up to me to say what you should be comfortable or not comfortable. And let's not forget, and I, I'll finish with this, the Detroit Red Wings, as they move – you know, from uh, from uh, into their championship years, they still had Joey Culture. They had Darren McCarty, and they had Chris Draper and Kirk Maltby and players Marty Lapointe that played hard, right? Yep. But they they did reach a point where they said our players are comfortable now just playing. But there's a there's a development phase to that too, and you can never underscore the importance of uh, of the players that can give you that comfort level. And people that don't, what I what drives me crazy is people that are on the outside of the game. And I'm, that's not a criticism that want to dictate, oh, you shouldn't have that. Yeah, do you understand what it's like to go into a building where you know where the opposing team is going to grind you and it's going to be hard and physical? Yeah. I would say most of them don't. Give us your World Junior Champion prediction and then give us your, if we can, well, we'll finish the NHL season. We know they're going to find a way to get it done. Yeah. Give us your Stanley Cup champion. Okay, uh, World Junior, I think it's going to be reverse of last year, USA, Canada, and the gold medal final, and Canada's going to find a way to, to win it uh, on home ice. My Stanley Cup champion today uh, is the Tampa Bay Lightning. I, I can't bet against them, and I know they're getting Kucherov back. I just Three in a row, them. eh? Yeah, I can't bet against them. And you know what I think benefits them too? They've had these little bit of rest periods, you know, over the last two seasons, right? Like, you know, their first cop and then the longer time. I, I think that that benefits them a little bit for going for three. But I, was, I, I can't bet against them. I was happy they won last year because I think a lot of people, myself included, maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't at the time credit them with the, with the proper you know, credit that it deserved for winning that that uh, bubble Stanley Cup and how hard that must have been for the players. I couldn't imagine I would have been going nuts in that bubble. Um, so I, I guess I guess maybe that was ignorant on my side, but I was really happy for them to be able to win it last year in front of fans because you know they got to experience that, right? I mean, but I mean, three in a row. Come on, I'm, I'm not into that. Let's start. Let's let's. I like to change the. <laughs> I like to change the record around a little bit. Okay, so now I'm just gonna. I'm going to finish this. Here's one question you can both answer. And you got to answer me in two. I'm going to give you a two-part question. Okay. Who wins on December 26, Bills or Pats at New England? And who wins the Super Bowl? Um, well, I, I'll be literally killed when I walk out of my front door if I say the Patriots. So, I, I mean, <laughs> look, I'm going to tell you, I, 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 I only watch Bills games. So I live in Orchard Park. I don't watch many other NFL games. So 
I really want for Buffalo. I've lived here for 20 years now. And I'm going to tell you, I would love nothing more than to see what this city does or Western New York and Bills Mafia across the world does with a parade after the Bills win the Super Bowl. I need to witness it because I think it would be one of the greatest spectacles in sports. So I'm, I want the Bills to win that game, and I want the Bills to win the Super Bowl because I think, too, Josh Allen is just the classiest guy you might ever come across in, in pro sports. Couldn't have a better, uh, couldn't have a better player playing for a city. That's that's for sure. I'm going to tell you this: uh, the uh, the Pats in the last game, they played in that uh, insane, windy conditions. It was oh, yeah. freezing cold. I took the uh, over that game. How about that, Mr. Button? I took the over the in that game. Three the dumbest times. bet ever. <laughs> three times, three times through the ball, won the game. Uh, it's going to be very different in the next one. I think that Josh Allen is going to show his true colors. I think this team in Buffalo, the defense and the offense are going to pull together and they're going to have a big victory in uh, New England. As far as uh, Stanley Cup champ, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Carolina, and I don't know why, because I couldn't name you more than like eight guys on on the whole entire team. But every year they just seem to be there, and Sometimes when you go into the playoffs and you lose it, you learn a little bit more from yourselves and what it takes to be a true champion. And I think that team's damn close. I think Rhonda Brendan Moore is one of the greatest coaches in the National Hockey League. And I think that they are going to make some changes um, going up to the, uh, the trade deadline this year. And I think that's going to be a very, very difficult team to play. Yeah. I'll, Two things I'll finish with before I wish you Merry Christmas is uh, I love Rod Brindamore. I, I love his attitude. I love his approach to coaching that team. He, he has been phenomenal for that group of players. And I love Josh Allen. Now, don't hold this against me, and I know you won't, but I'm a Pats fan. But, you know, Mac Jones, as good as he's played this year, Josh Allen is special. Josh Allen Try like he's such a great competitor, even in that wind blown. I mean, he's trying to throw that ball and trying to make plays and everything. And I think the Patriots said, We're going to keep running it, take time off the clock because the more opportunities Josh Allen has to, to do his thing, running, passing, everything that goes with his game, the more dangerous and the more opportunity the Buffalo Bills have. I think that game helped them. I think coming back. I got to tell you, I see them as one of the Super Bowl favorites too. And I like, listen, I'm a Pats fan, but I got lots of respect for the Bills. We had Ryan Leaf. Uh, we interviewed Ryan Leaf um, a couple weeks ago, and we asked him this question because it was the Monday night game, that exact same game. We asked him what was going to happen, and he just said, Bill Belichick, you know, basically, you're not necessarily playing against the Patriots. It's can you beat Bill Belichick and, and what he puts in place? And so, I mean, I guess it will all come down to that because apparently everyone seems to think that he's God. <laughs> like, he's damn close right now. <laughs> yeah, football God, right? Football God. That's right. Yeah, I, yeah. exactly Thank right. you very much. Yeah, thanks so much for your time today. My pleasure today. to join you guys. Yeah, my pleasure to join you guys. Happy holidays to you and your family and your loved ones and your friends. And always a pleasure whenever uh, I can join you. Uh, 
It's always a yes, Andrew. It's always yeah. a yes. Well, I appreciate that. I, I tell you, I, there are still some nights I, I put my head down on my pillow and I think about that four-hour psychological evaluation you put me through <laughs> it with the, uh, the, the, before the draft with our testing with Dallas. Do you remember the, uh, we sat I do, with yeah, Scott, doc, Dr. Scott McFadden? I was, you know what? It was one of the greatest experiences I've ever, I've ever had in hockey was, was in that, uh, I don't know if you call it a psychological evaluation, but it was like, you know, we sat with the doctor and and talked and, you know, it was, it was, I don't think enough teams were doing that. That was the only time I'd ever experienced that. And I wonder if teams are are doing it now. Yeah. Well, I I think people are trying to find every, every aspect of, of a player on and off the ice that can, you know, help them. I, I hope you remember this too. We sent you a full copy. This wasn't something where we kept the copy. Oh no, I, I do. I re- oh yeah, we I, sent I you that. the copy of the report because the idea, Craig, if, if you're not familiar with it, was we wanted to know the player and and, and the player needed it because we 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 spent time with the players that we were that we really really felt that we had a chance at getting and we wanted to, that we really valued in terms of what we thought our team needed in the draft. But we also gave a full report to players we drafted and players we didn't draft to the players so that they could see what it wasn't just one of these come in. What did that all mean? It was, yeah. it was no, something it was... we get. I, mean, I, I think I was just, you know, the feedback I've gotten from the players over the years was that, you know, they really appreciated getting that feedback. And I think that that's something that uh, makes me feel really proud. Well, I tell you this too, last thing I'll say, and I know I've mentioned this to you before when we were doing our live show, but the letter that you wrote me um, afterward, I'll never forget it. It was, it's, you know, the fact that you didn't draft me was probably, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that pick was coming, 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 and then you traded it. And I'm like, oh my God, not in the interview. But no, the letter you wrote me, it was, uh, I know that it, it meant a lot to, to my mom and dad because they've never received a report like that <laughs> or a nice little <laughs> like that. So no, it was great. And I've always appreciated that we've kept in touch over the years and, yeah. and always enjoy your coverage and in, in, with the hockey and everything. So appreciate your time and happy holidays to you and your family. Yep. Happy holidays, Craig. Thank you. Yeah, same. Yeah, take care of you guys. That's a wrap on another episode of after the whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter after the whistle and at Craig Reve 52 at the instigator 76 And you can find us, as you already know, on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, and anywhere else where you can get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.